to the Making Laps Podcast. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Making Laps Podcast. This is our first special episode. I have a panel of well, I was going to say experts, but we're all experts in our own mind, right? And so, all episodes are special. All episodes are special. Oh, thank you. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Anchor. So go and subscribe there. We are on, uh, well, no, we're not on Twitter yet. I was going to say Twitter, but we have not made that yet. Uh, we are on Instagram at Making Laps Podcast. We are on Facebook.com slash Making Laps Podcast. Today will be a special episode involving the crate engine debate and how it pertains to short track racing. But first, let me introduce everybody on our panel. Uh, my name is Brent Gleason. You all should know that by now. I race at uh, Thompson Speedway Motorsports Park for the majority of my career, and I have experience with both built engines and crate engines in my career. One races with both. I am sitting with Phil Jakes, who has been co-hosting the last few shows. Phil, what's your experience with this topic? Uh, I have run three events with a built motor, uh, and I've run a bunch with crate motors at both Thompson Speedway Motorsports Park and Stafford Motor Speedway. All right, so you're kind of more towards the crate side, yes. I would suppose. But this isn't this isn't going to be one of those debates where we just try to argue over which one's better. It's basically we're just going to compare the two, basically. And then sitting in with me is actually my brother, Jesse Gleason, who spent the majority of his career at Thompson Speedway Motorsports Park. He's also raced at New London Waterford Speed Bowl for the early parts of his career, and he is mostly on the side of built engines. He's shaking his head like, no, not crate engines. So your experience with built engines lives your whole career. That's correct. Yeah, and your career But spans... I have run a crate down south one time at the Dillon Motor Speedway and still had a ball. Yeah. So I, I'm well-versed on the topic as well. Yeah, so he's. it's not like he hasn't done it. And with us on the phone, Phil, you want to introduce him? Uh, Patrick Thomas uh, from Florida. He is a multi-time champion, two-time national champion, uh, NASCAR national champion, two-time touring series champion down in Florida, uh, as well as a three-time track champion. And I think he said 65-ish uh, wins with a crate motor. And I believe you have some more experience with built motors as well, correct? Yeah, uh, we actually we were at a banquet last night for one of the touring series where we were crowned the champion, and uh, they made me add them all up, and I think we're at 97 was the number I came up with. So 65-ish with a crate motor, and the rest are all with built. So this, so he's got a hell of a lot more uh, accomplishments than all of us combined up in the studio. No, <laughs> I'm nobody. Easily. <laughs> no, but that's it's really good to have Patrick on because he's a very, very highly regarded authority in this studio, so... Thank you for coming on, Patrick. I appreciate it. I hope your arm doesn't go numb holding your phone up to your ear for as long as we're going to talk. Nah, it won't be bad. It'll be good. <laughs> so I wanted to touch on a few things before we really rolled into the debate because there were two uh, articles of news that came out this weekend. Well, one's not really news. One's mostly controversy. But the first one I wanted to touch on real quick was Ryan Priest announcing that he's going to have uh, super late model ace Bubba Pollard in one of his modifieds down at New Smyrna for Speed Weeks, correct? Anybody? Yeah. Oh, okay. Have, I, <laughs> Are you yeah, asking me? I saw that news. Absolutely. I'm asking, I'm asking the panel. How <laughs> I race there? I well, didn't know that. Yeah, so Patrick <laughs> races at New Smyrna, so he's you're probably pretty excited about it, right? I am. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a Bubba Pollard fan. He's a he's as big a deal as there is down in the south. And I'm interested to see him in a modified, but you know, I'm a being a, a Pollard fan. He's a he's smooth. He's um, keeps the car underneath him, and he's really good at the end of races. Um, the modified races I've watched need to be you look like looks like you're super aggressive and always up on the wheel, 120. percent I'm real interested to see how he does. I think it might suit him very well. I think he'll be really interested in it. Hopefully, we can actually attract him towards the modifieds, but I guarantee we won't steal him away from the super late model crowd. I know people up north, are like, they like to they like to act like modifieds are their own, but let's be honest, they're a whole East Coast thing. But I think that's going to be a really interesting uh, 
<laughs> Sorry, my cat's clawing Phil in the legs, and I think it's really funny. <laughs> he's the re- he's the resident cat hater, and the cats are clawing him. So <laughs> they know, they just know, they just know. Good kitty. But I think I think this is going to be a really interesting matchup. I thought Bubba did really well when he ran the Dale Dale Earnhardt Jr. car, the second car at the Martinsville. I forget the name of the sponsor for that race, but the 300, the late model race. Right, yeah. I thought he did really well. He was towards the front at the end. So that'll be fun to see. I hope I can see it because I have a Speed 51 account. I wonder if they're going to have it on there. I think it'll be on Fans Choice or whatever they have with that now. Yeah, the new Fans Choice or whatever Fans Choice used to be is what they typically have down here. It's some NBCSN type of thing. I don't even know what the hell it's called. Track Pass? I forget. I, I don't even know. But I'll probably look into it. But I want to see that. That's going to be really cool. And the second quick thing we're going to touch on is uh, something that came out yesterday that absolutely lit Twitter on fire. And Doug Kobe, six, what, six-time six champion. Six-time wheeling modified, modified tour champion. Took his match and set it on fire himself just to watch it burn. Because he upset the entire iRacing and eSports community. I don't have the tweet, but he's, essentially he was very angry about the idea that eSports racers and uh, iRacers are getting so much national attention and sponsor deals and like media days. And he said it makes him want to puke. And that started a fervor I don't think he saw coming. And I even got involved in it a little bit, but I didn't like, I don't think I spread the fire anywhere near as much as he did. I, I in the past, have made some comments and taken a lot of crap. So uh, I sat this one out. What I, what the problem with it was, was I think that the everybody on, on their own side, like real racers and e-racers or i-racers, whatever you want to call them, because I don't consider like console games like nascar heat to be e-racing i think it's just a video game so i don't even include them but i think that these everybody gets a little bit too sensitive about their own topic like real races will be like well we're out there on the front lines and then e-races are like we're putting in a lot of effort and nobody really understands that it's not really about each side what it's really about is real racers are pissed off at nascar for passing over all of the grassroots racers and giving attention to people sitting behind a computer screen in their parents' basement. And they don't have the same level of investment that these guys have. You know what I mean? Completely agree. Yeah. I, I guess you could argue that they have the time investment, but I still don't think it's anywhere near what we put into the cars. They have, no. they have like, like I saw Michael Conti put something out. He's like, oh, I work on setups 20, 30 hours a week. I'm like, 20, 30 hours a week on a real car is a light week. Very. That's doing physical labor. You know what I mean? We're not, we can't go out there and run thousands of practice laps. And like I said, when you're done racing, you don't unstrap and get out of a hot race car with a fire suit on. You stand up from your office chair and go get a drink from your mom's fridge. Or you call your mom to come bring it to you. My bathroom. <laughs> South it's Park not reference. Right, but yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, it's not really that real racers hate iRacers. They even came out and said, no, we're not real racers. We're not pretending to be. Which I thought was, okay, that's that's correct. It just kind of devolved into everybody thinking they were insulting each other. When in reality, it was essentially just grassroots guys being pissed off at nascar and that was pretty much it yeah i think you're spot on on that that's that's the reason yeah so i think we're gonna have to start the debate all right so since we threw away our format we are going to go into our panel debate on crate engines and short track racing the history what we think we can make it better how it works etc we're just gonna kind of round table discuss the whole issue at large, because I think that all of us have definitely been affected by it, which is why we assembled a panel of people who have experience with all of it. So if anybody wants to correct me on the history of crate engines, I would gladly accept it because I'm going to go into that first because I think it's worth mentioning. Uh, and I'm doing this all off of essentially memory and the, the minor amount of research that I put into it because I couldn't find a heck of a lot about it. But 
from what I could gather, the history of crate engines, the crate engine program is, I want to say, about 17 years old or so, something like that. And it really kind of started off with tracks and sanctioning bodies starting to utilize, I think it was like the Chevrolet ZZ4 crate engine, which was essentially something like the 603. But that's all I could really gather from, like, they're, they're broadly similar. And yeah. I think both of them are now discontinued and probably have been for years. But uh, GM decided that with the popularity of people using that CZ4, they, you know, a, a crate engine program might help the short tracks and, and short track programs across the country. So they decided to come up with a couple of new engines and basically sell everything off to uh, circle track racers and... They came out with the 602, 603, 604, and they also had the CT525 for the ASA series, which I think they still have. They still use that motor, yes. Yeah, they're using the dirt light models. Yeah, and I actually have a great idea with that engine I might have to get into later, but I, that I've been peddling that people are like, oh, that's stupid. But again, I'll, I'll save that for later. Again, it's as it is today... Um, I think that they only have the 602, the 604, and the CT525, correct? As yep. far as I know, right. yes. And then Ford, I believe, also has, uh, I think it's called an SB347 or something like that. Is it a 347? Like yes. It is. I know Ford joined the joined the uh, program a little bit late, I want to say. Yeah. But at least they put something together. But the problem is, is like the only people who use the Ford crates are probably like what super late model guys or pro or pro late model guys i want to say pro late model guys uh act late model guys and i think their price point is a little bit higher than the chevy stuff too are they, are are they, they comparable um to the, to the chevrolet in power like i don't know go ahead patrick yeah it's uh it's the 347 motor it's three or four thousand dollars more than the 604 motor it's comparable to the 604 um it makes 20 or so horsepower more than the 604 which is why they've implemented rules like in late model stuff where you can actually change the rocker arms on the 604 and stuff. All that stuff shouldn't be done. They shouldn't have put them together if they weren't the same, in my opinion, but um, should have just stuck with the Chevrolet and been done with it. But yeah, they're, they're somewhat similar. And I mean, I could point the finger at other manufacturers that are involved in like NASCAR and short track racing for not creating a, a crate engine program. Like I think Toyota would have a great program if they put something together because you know they have the means of doing it and they could give back to the short track community. I mean, people are using the bodies for their cars and giving them free advertising, which I wouldn't do. But they could put something together. But I know f I, I really should have read into more of the Ford program because guys around here use them for the ACT late models. And I know they have to bolt like 20 pounds on the front of their car or something like that in order to use them. And I know they are a little bit better than the Chevy engines, but they're this the the ACT is still using 603s and just rebuilding them. And that's, right. that's a little problematic. And I know they, they kind of switched over to running 602s. And we could get into this all day, but this is, you know, about the history of it. So anyway, if we can get into the history of racing engines in general, just to compare apples to apples, basically, or apples to oranges here, because it's built engine, crate engine. That's what we're talking about. Like you go all the way back into the history of racing and what did guys used to do? They used to pick engines out of junk cars or whatever they had sitting in the junkyard and throw some, you know, new bearings in it or even just swap an engine into a different car. And they used to just go racing, you know, like old jalopies and stuff back in the 50s or 60s or whatever. And eventually over time, it would get a lot more specialized. Guys would get more special parts, and then they'd, okay, well, I can find this lightweight crank, and I can find these rods, and I can find these aftermarket parts. And like I said, over time, it's going to evolve. And it evolved and evolved and evolved to the point where now you're looking at, like, hobby divisions, like what we race. We race the sportsman-style division, you know, G-chassis cars. And you're looking at guys who you could buy every single part of that engine as aftermarket. Right, and that drives the price up a ton. I mean, we're looking at guys who, you know, with a nine and a half to one motor, with essentially stock heads and a two plane or a dual plane intake manifold, spending ten to twelve grand on an engine for a division where you're going to win three fifty to five hundred bucks. Right. Yep. So it's not that you know it's a bad necessarily a bad thing to have that freedom, but it's it's kind of just over time, racers tend to get more specialized because they want to find more speed. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, and money then the, buys speed. Right. And then you, you look at the over time, 50 years, people are going to make a lot of aftermarket parts. And they're going to make all these things that you can buy that you probably can't find or it's more difficult to find. And there's a lot of stuff that you can interchange. So as things go with time, it becomes more and more and more specialized. And when you're trying to find speed, you're no longer taking, you know, a big block out of a Cadillac or whatever and stuffing it into your cut down and hoping you go faster. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now you've got rules and they, they, they regulate the heck out of it. And you kind of, they, they kind of handcuffed people when they put their own motors together. Eventually it be, it funneled down from being whatever you wanted to run into, okay, the rules are going to tighten up and tighten up and tighten up until the cone eventually ends and you're left with, here's your options. This is what you got to build. And I think that that a lot, or a lot of that is basically why the cost can go up too, you know? Yeah. So. It's, no, it's, I mean, there's different, they just come out with different lighter weight stuff, same parts, but everything's lighter and just keeps getting more and more expensive as they specialize it. Right. And you look over, like I said, over the history of like 50 years or so, you everything changes, cars change, uh, parts change. So with that, the rules are going to change. So if you got like a, a hobby division like ours, they're going to neck down the rules so that you can't just take any motor you got into a stock chassis and just. That's whose responsibility is. That's it's the promoters and the tech inspection, and that's how it gets everything from uh, running away with it. You know, that's how they. Have right. To, yeah, they have to figure out a way how to keep everything down. Right, that's and their, as their job, and as the rules, like I said, as the rules get more tight it becomes more specialized and guys say okay well it's a lot more difficult for me to make power building an engine myself i'm going to take this to an engine builder or a machinist because they have the specialized tools and the cost goes up again you know what i mean and if you want to go fast you're going to have somebody else do it for you so that's where the cost goes up from there so i think that leads into my next point is the cost increases in racing versus the scarcity of parts over time i think we kind of touched on that really i mean over time you're not seeing guys out there like i said swapping engines from other cars into you know what they got for a race car and stuff so over time parts become more and more scarce things get recycled people you know time marches on yeah people use them up from the junk carts they're they're done and then the rules are uh put to they're written in the same way that uh prohibits people from doing that to go to the junkyard and doing that so yeah i don't think there's i don't think there's been there's not much cast iron small blocks in in automobiles on the streets since late 90s early 2000s chevrolet trucks had vortex 350s in them that was kind of the last thing that we even had to pull from wasn't it probably in the mid 90s 98 i yeah. believe was the last year because i think the ls motor came in in 99 yes yeah ls motors came in about yeah. that time so every, all the built motor left. stuff that's out there like all the all the older stuff that you were trying to use from the junkyard isn't there anymore like it's just it's gone yeah it's all specialized parts now think about but, it the way from like the, the late 60s 1970s if you think about it in those terms those guys were using old coupes from like the pre-war you know and yeah. <laughs> and cutting them apart and using them for racing and guess what happened they all got used up in the late 60s and 70s and then you got the pinto revolution so we're kind of at that point now, I believe. Yeah, I mean, the, what was the last? And we're kind of getting into basically the scarcity of parts in general. I mean, we're kind of deciding the debate right now, but it matters. When well, was the a, when was the last body on frame car that GM made that we could use for racing? That we could the use? metric car, right? Yeah, the metric it's car. Metric. I would because the last body on the last body on frame car to be manufactured was the Crown Victoria, and that went through the mid two thousands, right? But nobody's <laughs> going to use that. <laughs> but what we could use is a G chassis car, and they use them for Christ everything almost, like yeah. you know, sportsmen's, late models, hobby stocks, and everything. They're well, I'm building one right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even so, unibody Camaros and Firebirds, those are long gone as well. Oh so. God, yeah, yeah. Unless yeah. you wanted to start using the ones that just came out and they're too expensive. You can't do that. Probably made out of lesser materials too. But that was, what, 30-plus years ago? Yeah, so the point is is that, yeah, everybody is having to, having to buy or you can't really build them anymore unless you get a jig like a Johnson chassis or whatnot. But you have to buy instead of build. 
Right. That's the that's the case with engines as well. I mean, the Chevy 350 is one of the most uh, mass-produced engines in the entire world. I think I can't even. I don't think I even looked up the numbers, but I know it's in the tens of millions of engines being built. Well, considering the the time frame where it was produced, right? But they're essentially they're still everywhere, but. Everything again gets scarce over time. Guys oh. blow them up. They don't resleeve them. It's too bad. They can't keep it. The blocks crack. Something. Anything happens. You got to get rid of it. And the ones you do find that are in somewhat decent shape, they cost more and more to get right. Right, because, because of the condition they're in. It's almost like transmissions and stuff. You try to find a, a Muncie or Saginaw transmission, the price just keeps going up because where are they going? You know, over time they're going to get used up. Right. And it leads broke. us to the aftermarket. Right. So it's it's so difficult to find parts, and that's like I said with engines. Original yeah, parts. yeah, original parts are very easy, very difficult to find. So with with a Chevy three hundred and fifty, yeah, there's a ton of parts out there, and there's a lot of aftermarket parts. But something that you could find in a junkyard, you know, no no more than a decade or two decades ago for fifty bucks to just grab and bring it home, like a whole rotating engine. Now it's like okay, you go to a pick and pull. Where are they? They're not there. They're gone. They're in some old man's, you know, barn somewhere. Or they're just gone in general. But then you got to go out and you got to buy, okay, we've got to run this engine. So you have to buy an aftermarket block. So that aftermarket block now costs you, what, $700 to $1,500, depending on what you buy. That's just a block. So it's like, what well, What do we do? You just got to, it's just, that's where the crate motor starts to come in. And I'll get to that later. I just want to touch on a few more points first. There's a lot of noticeable differences in what you can do with an open engine versus a crate engine if we can steer this in a different direction. Now, the one thing that I've noticed is that, like I said, even with hobbies type divisions, there's not a hell of a lot you can really do to change what you're doing with any with any engine, really. But with an open engine, it gives you a lot more freedom with things like cam profiling and build quality and other things. So with a crate engine, a lot of the rules around here, you can't really touch them. You can't open them up. You can't degree the cam. You can't touch the head. You can't touch the compression. You can't touch anything but a carburetor and a distributor and valve springs. And even them, they have to be stock. So Jesse, when you with, with a built engine, what do you like about the differences in like what you can do with a built engine versus a crate like you have a lot more freedom yeah you can play with you know cam timing and things to come off the corner better or run all the way down the end of the straightaway it gives me some uh you know adjustability and the the fun of it is to tinker i like to tinker i like to go inside there and play so some of it i can do that with yeah absolutely there's many different factors to do it with with set open motor. Yeah, and Patrick, with I know you probably have a lot of experience with built motors as well. Absolutely. And like there's there's always going to be rules on like valve lift and compression and cylinder heads and and rotating assemblies and stuff, but when you're trying to tune a built motor or a built engine, I should say, when you go in there and you want to start tinkering around and messing with stuff, it's it's nice to have that freedom to just open it up and play with cam specs or call up you know, crane or whatever, and to be like, hey, can you try this with that? So, I mean, like in your history, what what have you done to tinker with yeah. these things? Yeah, it's kind of the same, kind of the same thing Jesse said. You know, it's it's being able to work with the cam, and you can change profiles, change lifts. Uh, we run, we have quarter mile tracks down here, all the way to all the way to New Smyrna, which is a half mile. That you know, you wouldn't run the same cam from one track to the next just because they need so much different, like they need to be different. So with the built motor, it does give you that freedom, does give you that option. But, you know, at the same time, I'm not a motor guy. I've never really claimed to be a motor guy. I know what it took to keep a built motor going. So, you know, it, it whenever I needed a cam change, I called a friend. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm not a motor guy. So I, you know, come over, help me, let's put a cam in it, and then I got to pay that guy. So, but I'm here to win races. So that's what it took. That's what we did. Um, 
and we just made it work. But yeah, like you like said, working with the cam, trying to trying to tune the motor to the racetrack to my driving style is a nice feature, truthfully. Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, the majority of my wins came with uh, built engines, and I remember when we would struggle, we would take it out and we would say, "Okay, well, let's take take it apart. Let's look at it. Let's make sure the thing's working right." let's try this cam and it would go and we'd open up the like lobe separation angle or we'd try different durations and we would, you know, try like degreeing it in differently and we'd take it and we'd throw it back in the car and, and okay, that did better. Or we'd, you know, play with, we'd play with whatever we could. And it's nice to have that freedom to go into an engine and just say, okay, well, I'm going to tinker with this. And when we put it back together, let's just make sure it's legal. Now with built engines, there's a certain nostalgia that I think a lot of people really enjoy and, and really love, and it's doing it yourself. And if, if you're a racer who's worth their salt, and I think that's every one of us at this point, you're curious about what you can touch on a race car to make it better and do it yourself. Like me, I would love to have all the tools necessary to build my own engines. I mean, we used to build crappy little engines that we'd make out of like rotating assemblies from TRW or, you know, automotive warehouse or PAW. Is that what it's called? Yep. Them too. Oh man. Are they still in business? I don't think so. I don't think so. They were, they were in all the circle track magazines. You could look at them and and I want that. I want that. I want that. Yep. Yeah. Cause we used to be desperate and we used to just find used parts, used blocks, do whatever, grab a, you know, packet of plastic gauge from, I don't know, Napa or whatever auto parts store and grab the old beam torque wrench and put engines together and Jesse would go out and run them for a couple races and they'd puke the guts out all over the ground and we'd be like, okay, well, let's go find another one. Mm-hmm. But The good old days. Oh, yeah. You know, Jesse could tell you all the times he's been on fire from all the engines that blew up at Waterford. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's always, like there's I said, there's a... Scars. It's, it's part of the racing heritage to go back and want to do everything yourself because that's what the old guys used to do. You know, there's a certain nostalgia to working on everything. And I, I kind of miss that idea with how the rules are today and how expensive it's gotten. There's, there is a way though that the problem is, is that you can't really do that much anymore because like we mentioned before, the part scarcity, because people have to build, it's people have to buy instead of build because that's the nature of the beast now. So whether it's time to the race car or the engine or anything of that nature, you gotta have a, you have to have like a, a, a box, have a, a box race car. Yep. Unfold it, open up the edges and then have it put together it's like here's my race car i bought it yes put some, put some tape on it and you're good to go yes yeah exactly we'll have plenty of tape that's the way it is now because we can't we're we're we're, we're, we're out of we're out of nostalgia yeah we're kind of pigeonholed because of the <laughs> scarcity of parts now i know that there's other ways that you can get into racing with you know modern passenger cars and four cylinders just chuck a cage in it and go racing with street tires and stuff but that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about grassroots levels you know, late models and sportsman cars. I'm not talking like top, top levels because those guys probably don't use crate engines. Let's be honest. We've already touched on excessive regulations and such to keep a, to keep the cost up. But there's cost differentials between the two. And over time, you really kind of notice a difference in cost between, say, an open engine and a crate engine. And... Patrick, I know that you've run, done both and been successful with both. So over time, what's really been cheaper for you to run? You know, I, I have to say the crate engine. Um, I've, I've had, since I started racing crate engines, uh, beginning of 2007. Um, I can't even count the number of races I've run. Uh, but I drove for somebody for a couple of years where I had a second car. And other than... I've had three crate engines claimed out of my race cars. Um, I've only purchased four since 2007. Wow. Uh, I have one in the garage that I still have sitting on the floor that had 52 50 lap races on it. And until I uh, ran it out of oil, it uh, it ran great. <laughs> Whoops. 
<laughs> usually I might have run it out of oil, yeah, but that's a whole other story. Oil just slows you down. It's just a, it's just a, it, in the way. It's one thing that's I really mean, good about the crate engines is that they are very reliable. They're like a wood-burning stove. They're incredibly reliable Absolutely. you don't get them hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get them hot. Oh, boy. Phil then, knows yep. all about getting them hot. Then it's expensive. Yep. yep. <laughs> you cannot get them hot, and you turn it off if it gets to the point where it's hot enough that you're worried about it. But, yeah, the pistons are just soft. They're not, you know, they're not as good as the built motor, built engine piston. They're, I mean, the, the forged stuff that's in the built engines can take that abuse. The cast or hyper or whatever these pistons are that are in these things, they just don't take that heat as well. So they, they kind of seize up in the cylinders or the wrist pin seizes up in the piston. Dang, I almost sound like an engine guy all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> and they break. Yeah, you know, there's one thing that I've noticed about the difference between crate engines and built engines that I'll touch on real quick. If you've got a talented engine builder, I think that you can have a much higher quality engine when you have a built motor. Like you can Absolutely. have the tolerances can be much more massaged and like ring gaps and piston deck clearance heights and bearing clearances. And like, like, like I said, we don't really know the assembly process for crate engines. I'm sure it's some kind of assembly line in Mexico. But let's be honest, they still work. They're still reliable engines. But I still think that with a talented engine builder, you could really have a very nice piece. Right. And, but I, I think they're for up here and with the way our rules and our tech inspection is gone, I don't really think they're that really cheap because uh, let me expand. First of all, the base price of the engine, that's what is it, $3,500, grand? It's on average about $35. Right. Yeah, it's actually up. Just had one delivered for a buddy here a couple of weeks ago. It was thirty seven ninety five. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's hovered around. You know, it's still pretty cheap. That's okay. not too bad. Yeah. That's great. And then if you want to, then if you want to be competitive and win races, you have to get it uh, through a, a authorized engine builder. That no. we're, we're talking about up here. We're up talking here. about. Okay. We're up talking here. about our problem. The problem with our rules right. up here. Who okay. You can apart, and then it's not a crate motor anymore. And you can, then they we, make we'll, changes, and we'll, we'll go into why. Patrick's way of doing things is way better down south for crate engines, oh. but we're gonna we're gonna talk about why up north our rules suck. So go ahead. Yeah. So so maybe yeah. So yeah. Once the once the authorized uh, engine authorized engine builder takes it apart, and then all of a sudden he does things in there depending on how much money you have and what kind of cost is going to occur, which is another four, five, six grand, however much you want to spend. So. Then he puts his seals on, and then the tech inspector goes, oh, those are GM seals. Okay, great. So now it's a crate motor, quote, unquote. And then so when now they it's wanna, not, but it's not really a crate motor. And then when they want to pump it in victory lane, you, you complain a whole ton, and then they don't pump it? Right. So you can do basically <laughs> up here, it, 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 they use the seals, the GM as the seal police. Up here it does. Down, Some. you know, Obviously, down south and in other places, it's very much different. I, I would agree with that. So do they have it sounds a cl- like you guys have experience in that whole deal? Oh, you would not know that. Just a little bit. I'm I'm a little bitter. <laughs> yeah. So down south, do they have a claimer rule for crate we engines? We do. We do. We have a claimer rule. Weird. Um, and it is the absolute original price. The motor comes from GM, and you get it as it came from GM. Now the only thing we've done down here, they they are allowing us to change the oil pan, and honestly, I wish now that. All the all the weekly tracks down here and the series down here has gone to crate motors only. I wish they would go back to you had to run the original pan again, but the crate motor was we were I mean it's down on horsepower from what our built motors were allowed down here when they allowed built motors. Well, the built motors were able to get to a 12 inch crank height. The crate motor we were at 13 and 3 eighths because the oil pan's an inch and a quarter inch and a quarter deeper than the stock oil pan. So they've let us put a seven inch oil pan. And I, th- I think it's a huge mistake. I've seen people actually break motors because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Pickups and, on. and the problem is when you open up the crate, you just, mm-hmm. op- it's like opening Pandora's box because now all the controversy starts. It's like everybody's pulling Correct. pans off it. And well, what do you, yep. what can you do with pulling a pan off it? Well, Pretty much anything you want. You're not supposed to get in there. You're not supposed to yeah. get in there, but people get in there. I think that yep. the, I think a good solution to that would be, okay, well, if you're running a built motor, you got a bolt, a set amount of weight to like the top of your frame rails or something, you know what I mean? Or, or up higher to get that crank height. Like why don't you just change the rule to make it fit the crate motor. If they want to run a crate motor, why don't yeah. you just make it make sense? Make the built motor run the same pan as a crate yeah, or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. That would have worked. Why that not? Fine. <laughs> I mean, that's, that that's not what they did. 
they went the other route and said, no, let's open up the crate motor. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, apparently. that's opening Pandora's box. You don't want to open yeah, up a crate motor. <laughs> it's terrible. But anyway, um, I didn't know if you were continuing. So like I said, our rules aren't perfect either. Like we, they didn't, they didn't think our stuff out. And I do love the claim rule. Um, I will say claim, our uh, crate motors have been raced here in different series and at different tracks and allowed since 2005. Um, I started running in the beginning of 2007. I had one claimed in 2007. I had one claimed in 2013. I had one claimed last year. So I keep getting new motors. I love the deal. Like I'm, I got no problem with the claim. Um, somehow in the state of Florida in asphalt racing with 602s, I'm still the only person that's ever had one claimed. So I don't, I don't exactly, can't exactly explain that, hmm. but I'll take it. Yeah. See if they, Did they win the next week with your claim motor. <laughs> uh no no in fact i got <laughs> that's it yeah that's... in 2008 with one of my with one of my motors at, at our our biggest race of the year it was a, like an all-star type race we had here at new smart i got i got outrun finished second to it and that night they said we don't really care that your motors have seals or not we're actually checking them yeah motor, see, the i want to see that out here What's and that a claimer rule up here. We need, we need, and that. we need not only the claimer rule, but we need to tear the engines down up here too. I agree. No, I think it, I'm down. all for fairness. I don't care. I'll, I'll rip seals off my motor. Go ahead. They've been Me too. the, uh, yeah, you could ease you. People have been getting the seals since, uh, from what I've researched as early as 2005, the GM seals. So once, once guys have had the seals that are out on the street, uh, the black market, or whatever the <laughs> yeah. infallible getting into the engine it, it's over you've impregnated have you seen the new the ones? impregnable oh the new seals are incredible yeah yeah the new I bottle don't. cap seals yeah yeah gm know. went out of their way for this one yeah yeah i don't know that you that you fake those at least i haven't figured out anybody that's doing them yet no no because they have they have, have sure a little they, uh, they have a little chip on them too don't they, they? Do. rfid yeah. chips they do yeah, so if you like scan it with a scanner, you know that that's a real GM seal. Like it's almost right. infallible, which I kind of like. Yeah, no, yeah so that's good that they're getting creative. Uh, you know, uh, the cops and the robbers are getting more creative. So and that, Phil, yeah. Phil, you know a lot about the RFID stuff. Yeah, it, at some point someone's going to be able to duplicate it, but it's going to take a lot of money. It's expensive technology, and and the the tools you need to program those chips and, and to do it correctly. It, it's very expensive. Like how much? Like, do you know the exact? Uh, cost Not off or? the top of my head, but it's in the five-digit range. Yeah, so I don't think I see anybody with like an aftermarket parts company saying, "I'm going to spend like however much money it is that much to get an RFID programmer and then a laser etcher to make the barcodes and then like create these seals." And then you're not going to see the return on that. So I think it's a really good idea by GM. Yeah, Bubba's going to need a degree from MIT. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Great. But let's we'll get back into um, cost differentials and stuff. Like with a crate engine, um, I know that the bottom ends of them, if you keep the revs down, they last, God, forever. Like forever. all you really have to change is valve springs, spark plugs, oil and, and how much is it if they don't last forever because you can't just get it serviced anywhere it's 3750 that's for, yeah to get it serviced <laughs> no that's a new one no that sounds <laughs> it, it's yeah, easier to just go buy a new motor yeah well yeah, that's the thing is I, I don't think there should be authorized rebuilders no i think you screw up you get it hot you break it you buy another one and i hate it that it costs that it costs 3700 if you mess if you make a mistake but these things, you don't need people rebuilding them. As soon as you say there's an authorized rebuilder, I love it when people say, yeah, mine's a progressive 602 crate motor. I said, well, mine's a GM 602 crate motor. And if when you start putting company names in front of 602 crate motor, you've got problems, in yeah. my opinion. Now, up here, Stafford Motor Speedway, and I'm going to give them a lot of credit on this, they have an engine builder, uh, Rad Auto Machine, or RAD, Donnie Wood, he has a program where you could take your used up 602 crate and bring it to him and he'll give you a certain amount of money as basically trade in for a new one and he'll order you a new one. He takes that motor and he'll real he'll rebuild the old one into they have the SK Light division and they essentially use the 602 crate as a spec engine for their basically crate modified division. 
And so they, they, they take and they use it and they basically give it new life, which I think is a really cool idea. It's super expensive and I can't afford it's it. But forward thinking. I kind of like it. It's like it's half the cost of an SK engine up here, I yeah. think, right? I believe the only thing they do to those motors, too, is they put different pistons in them and slap them back together. I don't think there's a lot of changes. He probably touches the bore a little bit just to re-round it out, but that's yeah, about 30, it. Yeah, it's 30 over, I believe, is what they do. So saying the rods in these things are good for as many RPMs as you want to run. A buddy of mine actually did the, the test work on them in 2002, or no, sorry, even further back than that, 97, mm. 96, 97, um, was running these in a limited late model at 7,800 RPMs way back then. So the rods will last anything. You can turn them. Oh, man, good, because I was twisting mine to about 6,400, which is the chip limit up here. Mm-hmm. They limit you yeah. at 64, and I'm like, man, I squeezed the piss out of this thing, and then you said that, and I'm like, no, it's fine. Nah, rods are great. <laughs> the timing great, chain is what I'd worry rods about. Are great. I did have to replace my timing chain in my Gen 2 602, mm-hmm. yeah. which they did. Um, I know that the, they've had the plastic gear on the bottom on that one. What's that? Did it have the plastic timing chain gear on the, the uh, bottom on the lower? No, it actually. I, mine was the where the the, the uh, generation where they just switched over to the graphite coated skirts on the pistons. Yep. And so I had basically the regular old timing chain. It had a steel gear on both, but yep. I think I had six or seven races on it, and the timing chain had slap in it. Like it's slacked up wow. where I, I took my distributor and I could turn it in the block and it would go clunk and I'd hear it in the front of the engine. So I contacted oh, my tech. Yeah. I contacted my tech inspector and I'm like, dude, I'm not buying a new engine for this. Can you just come up and we'll drill seals? So we yeah. did that and we put the new, cause the next, the newest generation 602s or yeah, the bottle cap 602s, I think have a single roller chain in it. And we up, we basically went and we found all the parts and pieces to it, and we put that together, and uh, I haven't had a problem since. And I've been banging that thing off the chip all like all season last year, like ten races on the chip. So and that was that Thompson. Yep. Wow. Turn that thing down. You'll go faster. Shh, don't tell anybody. No, I I did one race and it was pretty good, but the setup kind of sucked. So. Yeah. That's that, kind of the, the that, key on the, that we learned on the big perks. But, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if we want to give all that info away, do we? No, we're not going to give any info away. We're just, right, cool. just kind of, <laughs> you can give that to us after we're done because when I go back racing, I'll need it. Yeah. Edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked, I liked my built motor. Like we can talk about what these crate engines were probably initially built for. And I think that they really weren't built for tracks like what we run at. We run at a track that's bigger than a half a mile. Yeah. We run at a five-eighths mile. And when you start getting into our divisions, motor really matters. And they allow us to run 602s with a 650 Holly HP 4-barrel, the 80541-1. Actually, we're not allowed HP parts in ours. Yeah, but it's an HP carburetor. So, (laughs) no, but... um, It depends on who you are. Right. But... With a built motor, up there, you're out of steam halfway down the straightaway, and the crate just monsters past you. But if you got your motor tuned right and you get a built motor, it'll snap off the corner really well. So if you actually get it right, it could almost even out. But, I mean, all of us sitting here knows it's not even. You can't outrun that big carburetor. You can't outrun two whole barrels. No, no it's ridiculous. No, but the problem is is that the compare, we're, we're trying to compare what's up at Thompson Speedway, but I look around at other tracks, and their built engine rules and their crate engine rules, because they allow both, are vastly different. Like, they, are, they allow a lot more compression in a built motor, and they allow a lot more cam in a built motor, whereas up here, we're running... Nine and a half to one instead of ten and a half to one, and we're running a three ninety four ten cam, whereas other guys are running like four sixty five. Well, and I think Patrick can actually say something of that with new Smyrna and their, well, now old built motor rules. Yeah, what do they run down there? Well, yeah, and I actually looked at Phil's rules a couple of years ago when he was talking about he was I think he had a built motor and he was looking to go into crate, and I told him I said there's no way that your built motor can compete with the crate motor with a 650 like that there's no there's no chance down here we were allowed our built motors had 525 solid lift cams um and double hump heads you know 64 cc chambers uh two eyebrow pistons uh they were allowing six inch rods like they were 
they were Jesse's I mean, over here. Panting. I heard there were dirty motors coming down here making 400 and 450 horsepower. Yeah. yeah. Running against our crate motors that we've dynoed a couple that never went over. I've never had one that on a dyno made more than 373. Right. And we were in the same division. And there were times you just couldn't put enough weight on the built motor cars because New Smyrna is a big half mile and you can use all that motor. Yeah. The problem is, is you neck down all the air coming into the motor with that two barrel. And you it can't, does. You can't breathe. I mean, the car. You can you can drive it off the corner as soon as it pulls. The as soon as the vacuum equalizes, that thing's out of steam. Like because you it can is. only move so much air because an engine is nothing more than an air pump. Well, and I think the right. thing too with our existing built motor rules and the reason the crate pulls it so hard at the top end is the cam profile is so aggressive in the built motors to try and make all that peak power. You just you hit the peak and then that's it. Where the built motors got a very linear power, yeah, they got two extra power curves, yeah. Pull all the way down on the carburetor, pull all the way down straight away, absolutely. Yeah, I think the crate motor should be a option, uh, a claimable option. It should not be the be all end all because now you're turning people away at the gate with uh, all the engine uh, building people and all their family and friends. You can't turn people away at the gate and then expect yourself to be successful. Yes. Well, yeah. Up here, we really need to do something about like what Patrick yeah. said. We need to equalize the rules more because I don't it's think... an option not to be all end all. Right. Because up here right now, it is the end all be all. And I don't oh, know yeah. if they're doing that on purpose to try to just get everybody to go into it. But the way the rules are set up, I don't think they should. They think it's going to save the sport and it's really, it's not. They got to give more than one option. So they got to do something like they do down South, especially like new Smyrna. I mean, I heard those rules and I'm like, Holy crap, I'm going to build, go grab my old built motor and throw a big ass cam in it and cut the heads down. (laughs) But it's, they have now made it crate motors only in the state of Florida in sportsman. Like in the division that I run now, it's crate motors only. Um, except one track way down in like Punta Gorda still has an open motor rule. Um, actually on a Vortec head. Um, but they've, they've gone crate motors only. And that's actually Steve Dorr in the Wheelman series is kind of pushed that. And car counts are crazy good at the Wheelman races and they're struggling everywhere else still because some of the, the guys that don't go out and travel are build engine guys and they're struggling with making change to go crate motor only so it's it's actually hurting the weekly divisions a little bit um until those guys switch switch over yeah it's a tough switch to make when i when i switched over from my built engine to a crate engine it cost me in our sportsman division at least five grand just yeah. to switch over and that's a Let's tough say, yeah, that's a tough switch and that's a that's a that's a very expensive switch a very inexpensive uh switch over because yeah, I did i've it. heard of other guys that had to they had to put a lot more money into it to be competitive. Yeah, because I've we have the receipts. We have it's different clutch big. rules, and if you're running a 650, that car's going or that engine's going on the dyno. Because if you if you run a 650 out of the box, you're going to be in yeah. the back. You're not going to no, beat you're... people. Like you, oh, you can't touch them. BS, I can't touch them. I can take those air bleeds out. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna. I mean, they're we we we're, we're Bolaws guys down here. That's I mean, that's where we're we're in Orlando, so. Um, they're a thousand to eleven hundred bucks. If you can, if they even have any in stock, they're selling so many of them they don't have them. But they're they're expensive. Just run straight from them is crazy expensive. Yeah, luckily there's a. I like the fact that they do have the claim rule down south, which I mean, they really need up here. And I I yeah. almost kind of feel like it would be better if these engines were considered more of a spec engine that we could open up in tech. But I mean that could open up be. another box too, so who knows? What my question is is that once once GM has the monopoly on all the race engines and the demand is gonna go up, so what's that what's gonna happen to the supply and therefore what's gonna happen to the price? I don't think the supply That's, is really just a problem. question. It, the supply won't be a problem, but how much will it be? Well I think it's, the price has already been creeping up. When I bought mine I paid thirty two fifty. Yeah. And that was only three years ago. Gotta meet the demand. The problem is I think that GM is trying to change the 602 to be kind of more in between a 602 and a 603 to try to expand it to more markets, like a limited late model type of thing or even a late model type division up here. Well, I know. I think what and I, and I think what they've done is um, didn't Crane or Comp or somebody didn't. The person who was making the original um, 
uh, Val Springs and Cam, I think it was Comp, I guess didn't they go out of business for a period of time? And they actually switched to Crane and had Crane building the uh, the Cams and the um, Val Springs whenever Comp was out for a while. I think they're back. I guess they're back in, but... Um, and then they made a they made a piston change in a um, because I guess the supply of what they were getting the price went up on them so they had to make a decision on what to do and they went with a little different piston and that was Gen two um, they also changed the harmonic balancer and I'm not sure why they changed the harmonic balancer but it's a little lighter than the Gen one. Balancer. Yes, they they had uh, they definitely did the piston change. They definitely did the harmonic balancer change because they switched it from that cast kind of harmonic balancer more towards the six hundred four style uh, yeah. harmonic balancer, which is like where my generation engine came in. I'm not really sure about the the uh, camshaft thing though. I'm not. I haven't heard. I thought about it was that. Crane that went out of business briefly. I think I think it's reverse. I, I think yeah. it is. Yeah, it might be Crane that went out because I think Comp's been around. I think they're part of the Holly brand, aren't they? Yeah. No, okay. I'm a little. I'm. Forgive me for my ignorance, but I'm a little confused. So now, for the people listening at home, so with all these different uh, 602, 603, 604, there's different generations of them too. Is now as well. So does that mean there are like different levels of each number crate engine? Because I'm I just, believe they all make in the same power and torque range. Yeah, roughly. I'm just not sure. Yeah, they're, so they're, they're close. They're yeah. similar. Yeah, they just make minor like upgrades because the like design changes through the years. Like the first generation six hundred two had kind of a cheap timing chain and and uncoated. Uh, piston skirts. So some, and then so, generation two, they kind of changed the harmonic balancer and the piston skirts. And generation three, they changed the seals and, and the harmonic balancer and the timing uh, chain. Part numbers. Yeah, yeah, they actually changed part numbers at one point. So when they, whenever they made the the piston change, they actually gave it a new part number. So there's there's two of them, two different part numbers. They both end still in six oh two. Right. So, yeah, I forgot about that. You know, yep. When I bought my Cray motor in 2016, I was technically by the rule book. I was illegal to start off because they hadn't adjusted Cheater. the, uh, yeah. And maybe everybody Shocker. was right on my two wins. I cheated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you didn't have the right part number. No, yeah. your, your engines were just more equal than the others. And that's what I think is what what it, what it comes <laughs> down to with all the different levels of the crane engine is that some are, <laughs> so there, some are just more equal to the others, you know, comrades. That's, that's all I know. <laughs> nice. Some are just more equal. We'll put it that way, instead of the competitors being creative. Now, getting back to what I was originally talking about, I think that the crate engines were kind of, I think they were more designed for tracks a half mile or under, because once you start getting to a half mile, they start to even out a little bit. And I also really think that they were more meant for, say, dirt tracks, like something that you can overpower the rear tires with. Absolutely. Well, well, and I was going to say that too about the built motors versus the crate motors with the rules that Patrick has down south or the old rules. Uh, depending on the tire you have, the tire becomes the equalizer at that point. Oh, t- yeah. Tell, tell me about like overpowering the rear tires. As soon as I switched over to a crate, because we run an open <coughs> differential in our division. So as I'm coming down the straightaway, if I turn to the the right just a little bit, it'll light the right rear tire up and spin it all the way down the straightaway with the crate. Yeah, you buzz the tire real easy with the crate motor. Yeah, if you're like the Thompson Modifieds, they stunk. They ran the oh. ZZ4 motors right. or, or they, 603s, I think. They too. were definitely not overpowering the tires, and they didn't have any adjustability, and it was just taxi cabs following the leader. Yeah, they were essentially an IMSA modified or IMCA modified or whatever you want to call it, but with like late model tires, like 8-inch slicks Yuck. and a two-barrel. On a six oh three, they were boring. They were boring. Terrible rule. Yeah, that's yeah. There was only like max eight cars in that division at one time. But I mean, down down Florida, that might be good in some places. Unfortunately, it yeah, is that's good right now which in is a lot of places. Kind of unfortunate, but like for up here, that's not good. Like it's yeah. really not good. No. But yeah, I think that these crates were a really kind of made for like those kinds of cars on dirt, like an Imca modified, like a. a you know, stock chassis front and tube rear and yeah, you know, so tiny tires and stuff. Their penalties for, for trying to get into the engine are also very harsh from oh. what I've read. Oh, Incredibly hard. Oh, yeah. Which, is, which I agree with. That's great. That's fantastic. If you want to be creative, you're going to have to pay the penalty. 
yeah, some of them they're going to ban like the car for a year or something like that, or even the the engine builder who authorize who is the authorized retailer, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So that that's part of what they do down here too. Is is in this in the Wheelman series that we ran this past year, their deal is is if you get caught with an illegal crate motor, they not only take your money, they take your points, they take your motor, and you're suspended. Oh man! So you don't even get the motor back. See, I like harsh penalties because with that, you really got to screw up in order to get that taken yeah. away from you. You got to have an honest tech guy. Patrick, didn't someone find that out motor. this year? Uh, yes and no. They did uh, They did absolutely DQ them. They did absolutely uh, take their points, their money, and suspended them. Unfortunately, it was one of those parts where allowed to change, and he had illegal valve springs on it. So they didn't keep his motor. Because it was a valve spring thing. They didn't, it wasn't anything inside underneath the seals was illegal. It was just the outside stuff that the bolt on parts. So they did end up dequeuing them, but yeah, they, I kind of thought they might keep his motor and they didn't end up keeping it. See, I, I like harsh penalties. Like, See, we've had, yeah, we've had guys that were in the limited sportsman with an SK light motor get caught, tech man's ready. Oh, we're trying something different. That's fine. Okay, go ahead, go on. We'll, we'll, we'll keep this hush hush. Brent gets some. Brent and Chris Meyer get some uh, carbon buildup on the valves. Up, oh, throw the book at them. Now, how fair is that? Ow. They threw the yeah. book at them. No, but if you got SK light engine, oh, it's an easy mistake. Authorized engine builder. Welcome, Oops. Jesse. I'm glad you finally showed Oops. up. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> yep. Sorry, kids. He finally yeah. swallowed the bitter pill. Yeah. The, the bitter pill is starting to kick in. Yeah. And yeah. I'm actually really bitter about that too. Be- yeah, because, because that's that. The, yeah, they brought this. They brought this entity with the crate engines in there, and then they the hide behind the seals and say, "Oh, no one's no one's cheating, no one's doing anything." You can't have GM be the be the seal police on it. I mean, even to their credit, they're trying. But you, let me you know, ask it just this: opens up a bigger can of worms. In it. Let me ask this: How much does a set of gaskets cost? Less than a hundred dollars. Why do we run seals? Just open them up and tack them. I open them up exactly. Yeah, and I like Patrick's claimer rule. Yeah. I love oh, absolutely. I love the Buy my engine. Fantastic. Yeah, I love the it. The track should be allowed to take your motor too. Have a have a control absolutely. motor. Give them a loaner motor. Let them take the motor. Dyno test it. Go through it. Make sure it's right. If it's right, you keep the control motor, and then that becomes the control motor. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to have it. Nice see, I'm motor. not a I'm not a huge fan of that, just because I don't know what that motor's been through. Yeah, that's the same thing here. I don't I don't want to I don't like somebody had mentioned point, something yeah. up here about like oh well why don't we just have these two drivers swap engines and we'll see what the difference is and I'm like I don't want their engine I don't know where it's been I don't yeah. know if they put all the oil in it or or the yeah. loaner motor could be a brand new crate motor just sitting in the crate nah just just claim it you want it yeah. you buy it drain yeah, the oil I'm, put I'm yours a, in. I'm a fan of opening them up and teching them and absolutely and definitely the claim rule is said it's worked well for me I've I've had three of them claimed and put new bullets in for the next week. And it was like, I never changed the motor, which is great. Yeah. So I, that kind of transitioned into one of my points. It's like, how do we have fair tech inspection between the two? And it's like, well, I think we're already touching on that. Yeah. 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 I mean, the freedom, the same, a lot of the problem is, is tech inspectors, not, I'm, I'm not pointing anybody out like specifically, but it's just, I don't know how handcuffed they are up here either. But, like, doing proper tech every week. Authorized like, dealers, track contingencies. That has to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, again, I don't think that we up here in Connecticut in the Northeast need to have that. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great. Don't tread on me. No step on snake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think. <clears throat> I don't think engine builders should have any. <laughs> there it is. Yay, commie <laughs> bastards! I don't. I don't think any engine builders should have their hands in the crate motor program. I think you should be able to order one out of the out of a magazine from wherever, Summit, Jegs, Neesmith, where whatever, uh, and just put it in your car and go. That's what I did. Right. Worked out yeah. great until out everybody really started complaining that I didn't yeah, have track seals. Up here we have track seals and what it is is basically the tech guy shows up at your shop or whatever and he's got drilled bolts that he takes out of your intake and he puts a wire seal with the track and a number stamped on it and he wire seals it in addition to the seals that come from gm how to take those off Hmm. yeah well we don't take the seals off and put a wire seal in its place they just put 
They have the GM seals, but they put, put the, they put U-line seals on Yeah, there. it's all U-line seals, like shipping seals. And you, can, if you have your own little laser engraver at home, you can get those cheap. Two, right. Two grand yes. if you really wanted to spend the money. You can make those seals all day long on your own. Yeah, and I don't like that. I you think see. that we should just open them up or yeah. have a claimer. You see, just like communism, more people, some people are more equal than others. <laughs> 100 million deaths in 100 years, people. <laughs> we don't want it to kill auto racing either. <laughs> so they've they've allowed they've allowed you to fix the motors down here too. Um, and Ricky Brooks, I'm sure everybody's heard of Ricky Brooks, probably. Oh yeah. Um, we should have got the, him uh, on. Yeah, we should have so called Ricky. <laughs> should have had Ricky on here. He'd love this. I got but, his um, <laughs> He he will actually come over, and if you've got it hot, you've had to have it worked on, or you know if you need to reseal one. He'll come over. He'll make you, he'll show up to the ha- to your house or to your shop and you'll have to have the um, oil pan, the time and chain cover, both heads, the intake off. And he he will watch you assemble it and he'll seal it with his seals. And everybody trusts him because he doesn't really care what your last name is. And he'll DQ you whether, you know, yeah. whether you're Kyle Bush or, or Phil. Yeah. That's the thing is care. that we don't really have that kind of a tech inspector up here with we that much clout. Now. Oh, sorry. You know? Yeah, but yeah. what do you got to take the time and cover off of the crate motor for? What's that? What do you got to take the time and cover off of the crate engine for? Well, I had mine off because my chiming chain kind of went bad. Well, yeah, that's that's one thing. But the yeah, tech I still inspector. Say they shouldn't be allowed to be rebuilt. The I tech guess. inspector did watch me put the two dots together. So. so. <laughs> Ish. No, I I put them together with the, with that roller chain. You can't you can't mess that thing up or it will blow up. Patrick, is there not a weight penalty for not having the GM seals in the Wheelman series? It yeah, there is. It's seventy five pounds, um, but Ricky's seal counts as a GM seal. Does Ricky so, does Ricky measure stuff when you put it back together? Like everything. like CC heads and check compression and all sorts Absolutely. of stuff. Well, yeah, good, every, okay. every piece of it. Cam he has a cam doctor. Um, he he does the entire he basically gets it make sure that it's exactly the way it comes from gm that you're not above any of the max tolerances because there are people down here there's authorized rebuilders there's a couple different people that rebuild them also and you can have them rebuilt but they have to be 100 percent within the rules so there are people that will max them out and i just don't think that should be allowed like i've never thought that should be allowed in my opinion, they're crate motors until they're broken open and rebuilt. But um, they need to be how they come from GM, not rebuilt. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think I've run out of notes. Anybody else have anything to say? Nobody? Uh, I'm good. Commies aren't people. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse's, Jesse's like, all crate motors are communists. <laughs> it's, it's my birthday, and it's about time to go with the family for lunch. How about that? Well, happy birthday. Anyway. Thank you. Yeah, yes, thanks. Happy birthday, Patrick, yes, and thank you for coming on. Yes. Hey, no problem. Yep. Thanks again. It was good. All right, so that was our crate debate special. Uh, Patrick, you got any social media stuff before you go? Like no. Where, where no people sponsors, can find you no at? No social media, no nothing. You just won a championship in the Wheelman Series in Florida, and you got no yep. no sponsors and no social media. No sponsors, no social media. My wife, just the winner's circle at the track you're at. That's all. That's right. Whatever it whatever it pays. That's probably um, the best social from, media you from can race have. to race. Now I we try not to do any of that. I'm I'm not active on there at all, and um, just having fun takes too much time working on a race car. No time for all that social media stuff. You I should have a social media account for the donkey. Oh, I love Steve the donkey. But yeah, <laughs> will we see you at New Smyrna in the next coming weeks for the uh, World Series? Yeah, we'll be there at the World Series. I'll be helping Brad May with a super late model, um, helping Scott Garrity, one of you guys from up there down here on Sportsman Cars, helping him with a Sportsman Car. He's going to be gone the second week, and every day might jump in his career and race it at the the second weekend. And um, going to do a little bit of maybe start and park stuff in a, in one of Brad's backup super lates. But that's awesome. about it. Well, at least you, as long as you have fun, that's all that matters. Yeah, building a little dirt car. Oh, actually. excellent! Uh, and Phil, where can we find you at? Uh, at P Jakes Racing. That's P J A C Q U E S Racing on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Jesse, you got anything? I'm on Facebook. That's it. <laughs> I'm not even like that. He had an Instagram account. I think he used it like four years ago. I forget what it is. Yeah. Social media is a cancer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, you can find the 
That's you can the, find the show on cancer. I mean, on social media. Yes. At uh, Twitter. Um, nope. Twitter doesn't have our page up yet. Uh, Instagram at making laps podcast. You can find us facebook.com slash making laps podcast. I am on Twitter at Brent Gleason zero one. I'm also on Instagram at the same handle. You can also find links to our episodes or playing platforms at uh, Gleason bros racing.com. We are on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and anchor podcast thank you all for listening i appreciate it greatly i hope the first special went really well and keep the dirty side down and stay out of the fence <laughs>